and you're willing, I'll do it. Geriatric sex. Because she's a whore. Jimmy's getting angry. Welcome back to the Cold War Show. Episode 130. Wow. I'm impressed. How are you, Jimmy? <laughs> Jimmy's not angry. Jimmy's doing pretty good. How are you? Jimmy wants to know. Uh, I'm good, Jimmy. Good. Jimmy, I've had, uh, I've had emails. What? I've had emails, I've had Facebook messages, I've had stuff this Aww. week. Um, people yeah, are getting angry, um, not at anything in particular, just me. Uh, and I want to give people a tip. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. Like, Listen. <laughs> I, I get this a lot. I get this a lot. I get people who go, well, you're just an idiot. <laughs> you're woefully uninformed, your political views are naive, mm. you're anti-American. Um, if you want to talk about... You, you have no right to talk about America unless you live here. You have no right to talk about Venezuela unless you've been there mm. and you speak Spanish. You have no right to talk about China unless you're Chinese and you've lived in China. You've got no... Anyway. Yeah. I say it's in a funny. No one ever complains about me talking about Julius Caesar, although I never lived in Rome and I don't speak Latin. Right. Uh, no one complained about me speaking about Napoleon because I've never lived in France and don't speak French. No one's complained about me speaking about Alexander because I don't live in Macedonia and I don't speak ancient Greek. Right. But apparently I can't talk about America unless I uh, have lived there and I can't talk about China unless I've lived there. And, you know. Right. Um, but here's the, here's the point I want to make. If you want, if you want to come at me, bro, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm totally, I welcome Comatable. it. But here's what I tell everyone: so you don't embarrass yourself right. and waste your time. Here's what I tell everybody: listen, if if I've got my facts wrong, correct my facts. Tell me where my facts are wrong. I'm, I'm more than happy to be given different or, or better facts. Yeah. If you think my interpretation of the facts is wrong. Correct me on that as well. Tell me why my interpretation of the facts is wrong. But just coming at me and saying you're an idiot yeah. or you're woefully uninformed. It doesn't do anything. Both of those things are, well, A, both of those things are obviously not true. Right. Like, A, I don't think I'm, uh, everyone knows I'm not an idiot. B, as I said to one guy in an email the other day, uh, look, I, I got thousands of books on my bookshelf. Uh, that I have read over the last 30 years on history and science and philosophy. So I'm not uninformed. Right. I've read thousands of books. Uh, you may say I don't understand the books. You can you can come at me from different angles. But saying I'm uninformed, well, that's yeah. plainly ridiculous. Right. If you have a fact that you want to correct me on or debate me about, do it, please. And here's the thing, and he said, oh, you're, you're extremely biased. No, I'm not extremely biased. People don't get I don't give a fuck. I don't give a shit. 
I, I have no, I have no dog in this hunt. Right. Like Cold War. I'm, I'm not, I'm not an American. I'm not a Russian. I'm not Chinese. Australia, we don't really, we don't sit anywhere. We're just, in, we're don't like, count. you know, we're half social. Right. We're a socialist, right. capitalist, <laughs> um, pleasure zone. I don't know. Right. <laughs> a utopia. We don't, we don't give a fuck. Right. Look, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a student of history. I go where the facts lay. I try to. Um, yeah, sure, I have confirmation bias, uh, like everybody does. After reading thousands of books over the last 30 years, I kind of figure that I kind of know how this is going to play out because I've read so much. Yeah, I kind of have a model in my head for how it all works. True. And that's a bias and it's a confirmation bias. But I don't really have a, a, a dog in the hunt. Right? I don't really right. care who's good, who's bad, who did what to whom. I just want to get to the story and tell the story. Um, so if you think my facts are wrong, come at me. More than happy to hear it. But come, come with your guns loaded. Don't bring a knife to a gun <laughs> Come uh, bearing facts. Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, and yes. like uh, the, the, the chap, GK, on uh, one of my posts, <laughs> I put up a, a, a Time magazine Man of the Year photo of Deng Xiaoping right. from 1978 or 79. And I just said, this is the guy that uh, uh, probably did more to make China's economy the largest economy in the world. And GK said, that guy in his great leap forward killed 50 <laughs> to 100 million people. The most, most, the hugest, uh, the person responsible for the hugest uh, cost of life in human history. It was big leap. And I was like, dude, you, you, you might want <laughs> yeah. to check your facts before you embarrass yourself. Right. Um, here, folks. Right. Uh, um, uh, that's the other thing. Like, if you're gonna pick a fight with me, uh, like, do yourself a favor. Go and check your facts first. Make sure you come at me with some facts. Huh. Uh, otherwise, idea. why? I mean, I, when people start arguing with me, and they obviously have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. Now, uh, that said, I do. I, I am in the middle of some long email debates with some listeners who know what they're talking about and they're respectful and they're, they're, they're able to have a good debate. Right. And um, so it, that kind of shocks me when that happens these days. I'm like, all right, this person knows how to de- knows how to have a conversation. Tom Monk, shout out to Tom Monk if he's listening. Tom and I have been having a big debate about John McCain and mm. Abraham Lincoln and, uh, I don't know, Churchill. Uh, among other things, and Tom Tom knows how to have a good email debate. Right. He goes, well, you said this, but I disagree with that because of this. And I go, well, yeah, but you say this, but I think that this is more true because of this source. And he goes, well, I don't, you know, it's That's good. That's where it goes. That's where it's supposed to go. I like, I like gentlemanly or gentlewomanly <clears throat> scholarly debates and discussions. Bring it on. I'm, I'm happy to learn. Yeah. But uh, don't come at me and, and tell me that Deng is Mao and that <clears throat> the Great Leap Forward killed 50 to 100 million people. And that it was the great. And so I said to him, GK. I said, "Well, uh, actually, like the, the the most estimates for the great the deaths associated with the Great Leap Forward, mm-hmm. and and when you say are half that, you know, they usually run sort of twenty to fifty million. Still a lot of fucking people, obviously. But when you say cause, then we we have to get into the world. Did he was it deliberate or was it accidental? Is it uh, accidental deaths or is it demo side? Um, was it just stupidity? Was it was it bad planning? Was it a good idea that went horribly wrong? Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that can happen when you say caused. 
And then I also said, and look, you know, uh, uh, twice as many people died in the capitalist-led World War II mm-hmm. uh, as that. So you can't say it's the greatest, the cause of the greatest loss of human life in history. Well, that's not true. World War II killed twice as many people, uh, 80, 87 million people, started by capitalists. And he said, it wasn't capitalists, it was the National Socialist Party. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? Now do I need to explain fascism to you? Um, like... So just, yeah. kids, don't embarrass yourselves. If you want to pick a fight with the cam, <coughs> go right ahead. I welcome it. Just don't bring right. a floppy floppy knife that you cut out of cardboard right. and then let soak in the rain for a day uh, to a gunfight. Right. Not that I'm saying I'm the smartest man in the world. Not that I'm saying I'm always right. But listen, if, 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 if I've done a show about something, assume that I've... You know, yeah, drill down. Done some, yeah. I've done some research. Yeah. I've read. I've read some. I've read some stuff. Doesn't mean I'm right, uh, but just assume that I'm well armed. Right. Um, so come well armed. That's yeah. all I ask. Don't waste my fucking time. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, if I could just Rant add concluded. two points onto that, I mean, there are plenty of people like me out there who, you know, just want to scream and and scream hurtful things to you, but just do it into your pillow. Like I do, take the take the high road, and the second thing is, um, as we do those sh- as we do these shows over the year. I mean, I am enough of an American uh, patriot, uh, nationalism, whatever you want to call it. I do not enjoy finding all of these things that America has done done wrong, and still to this day does wrong. But and we keep making this point over and over again. The American Empire is no different than any other empire for the last three, four, five thousand years on this planet. You get in charge, you do whatever you have to do to stay in charge and to stay dominant. If that means hurting people, killing people, um, ruining other economies, ruining other countries, whatever it takes, that's what you do. And, and it's not pretty, but that's human nature. And it's just that now it's easier to find out facts about when something like that happens. And so I'm not busting on America because I like it. I'm calling it as I see it. And unfortunately, there's plenty of evidence for any powerful nation um, to you can see evidence of them dominating weaker nations. That's just the nature of nations. And that's, that's what we do here. It's not, it's not judgment. It's just facts being presented, hopefully in an entertaining way. Yeah. I just accept it. I'm not outraged. <laughs> you made me spit up myself. <laughs> it's not sexy. But do you, but do you see the, <laughs> but do you see the point I'm making? We're just calling it like we see it and it's nothing new. Don't think it's new. It's it's not just about America. Freaking immigrants. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm mentally retarded. God. Anyway. You're a complete monster. And I hope hell is real. And I hope you're there. I'm crying to my pillow. Do you love me? It's a good kisser, by the way. All right. Let's get into it. Yes, I get it. Yes, you're right. Look, you're exactly right, and this is my point about America, and people say, well, why do you focus on America so much? Well, because America's been the superpower uh, during the Cold War that I've grown up with still today. Um, And, yes, people need to understand that America is, has done a lot of good things, done a lot of bad things, like like most empires, and let's uh, just be honest about that. All right. Speaking of America, getting getting back to North Korea... Now, I, 
my understanding from reading a, a lot of these history books on the Korean War is most Americans were told then and probably still think today mm-hmm. that the invasion by North Korea, if you can call it an invasion, I'm going to irk on that word a lot over the next few episodes, by North Korea was a total surprise. It was kind of positioned as another Pearl Harbor. Didn't see it right. coming. Took Come right. out of, you sucker know, side, side swiped, sucker punch, mm-hmm. side swiped. Mm-hmm. Come out of the blue. Couldn't have, 9-11, couldn't have possibly predicted that. Right. We did predict it, but but because we did say, like, six months earlier, you know, there is <laughs> stories that they're training, you know, there are people training to fly airplanes into buildings. But apart from when we completely predicted it, we couldn't have possibly Un- predicted it. Yeah. Completely, predictably <laughs> unpredictable. Uh, but with respect to North Korea, uh, as as Pearl Harbor, which I think we've covered in the past, uh, this isn't exactly true. According to Max Hastings' book on the Korean War, mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Max Hastings being the former boss of the man who just lost complete control of his government. Uh, <laughs> he's probably, I think, going to have the shortest prime ministership yeah. in British history. <laughs> and well-deserved, if that is the case. What a fucking clown. <laughs> the Americans, according to Max Hastings, the Americans had received quite a bit of intelligence predicting an invasion by the North in the first six months of 1950. But they either didn't believe it or they deliberately ignored it. Right. Now, here's a good story that you may not have because I don't think you have this book. Uh, I.F. Stone, who was uh, a a lefty journalist, very popular in his day in the middle of the 20th century, in um, his book on the Korean War, Mm -hmm. which came out in the early 50s, He tells this story. He recalls how when reporters turned up to the Department of Defence on the day after the invasion, an aide said privately that the United States expected the attack. This officer pointed to the fact that ships were ready to evacuate the families of American officers and others in South Korea Mm. and said that was evidence that the invasion was not a surprise. When newspapermen tried to confirm this, they succeeded in reaching America's highest-ranking intelligence officer, Rear Admiral Roscoe H. Hillencotter, the first director of the Central Intelligence Agency, Mm -hmm. which coordinates and distributes information received from all the various American intelligence services. Admiral Hillencotter did not insist, as officials so often do, Washington speaking only off the record or on without attribution. He permitted his name to be used and he made the statement that American intelligence had provided information that conditions existed in Korea that could have meant an invasion this week or next. Wow. The next day, the Admiral was summoned to appear before a private hearing of the Senate Appropriations Committee to talk about the invasion. Um, He was supposed to turn up, didn't. His arrival was delayed because he'd been called to a meeting with Truman at the White House. (laughs) Right. As he left the White House, he was accosted by reporters and his story had changed. He now said 
They had no idea Shocked, the attack you. was coming. Right. <laughs> then, but this it gets better. So he says, yeah, yeah, we knew it was coming. Then he goes to the White House, comes out and goes, oh, I don't know why I said that. No, we had no idea it was coming. Completely, complete mystery. But then he goes and appears before the Senate committee. Right. And provides them with detailed CIA dossiers that demonstrated that they had, in fact, completely anticipated the timing of the attack. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because there were... When he was at the front of the White House, I think he was like, I can't say <laughs> anything. He's right behind me, me, isn't he? On the... Admission <laughs> <laughs> A, or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> Vasion in A. Um... <laughs> Yeah, but then he goes to the Senate, he goes, yeah, no, ignore what I just said. When I said ignore what I said, then ignore what I said when I said that. <laughs> right. Because we actually completely knew. Um, uh, guess what happened to <laughs> Rear Admiral Roscoe Hillencotter? Retired? Yeah, uh, he were fired. Okay. Yeah, replaced. Right. Replaced as director of the CIA. Yeah. Um, do you have any information on uh, the where, whether or not the United States knew or about the coming invasion. Well, see, this, I found that really interesting because recently, I guess in the month or two, I can't remember exactly, I, I did an episode on Pearl Harbor. And just picture, it's the, it's the early, you know, summer, spring, whatever, of 1950. Intelligence reports are coming into MacArthur's office. They're coming into the CIA in Washington. The, 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 the North Koreans are going to attack, you know, whatever, that kind of stuff. But there were so many messages and memos and things that were overheard and sent to Washington because that's like you were saying earlier that's the job of the intelligence groups is to gather up whatever information and send it on that's what you do how much of that is noise and how much of it is actual intelligence well the the, the truth is you don't know you can't tell until after something happens so um I, I think it's easy for us to sit here, y'all, these years later and go, but they had reports that, you know, I mean, it had to be it had to be little tiny pebbles or drops in an ocean of all the information they were getting. Which one do you believe? How could you possibly know which reports are accurate? Because that's the way it was with Pearl Harbor. They got so many warnings over a year and a half. You just get numb to it. And But if I could if I could take a stab at interpreting the story that you just told, let's say. Washington does know. Let's say Truman is okay with that because he wants a war, because he wants to stand up to the communists. And technically, if you find out in three weeks or a month that the North Koreans are going to invade, what can you really do about it? You could put everybody on warning in South Korea, but you've only got 500 troops there. Pretty much everybody else is gone. You know that Rhee is a horrible leader, that it's corrupt. Every you know the, the military has no chance of winning. Do you just kind of let it happen? And so you have your causes belli, but you make sure that there are ships nearby to get what few Americans, I don't know, 2,000 Americans, I can't remember what you said, that are there to get them out safely. I mean... Even if Truman did know, what can he really do about it except for make sure that the Americans that are there are hopefully going to be able to get away? I don't see it necessarily as a bad thing. Well, I think that's where we'll get to. But this whole argument that, oh, look, there was so much information, intelligence coming in, you can't expect us to read it all is (laughs) like the worst. That's... Your only fucking job 
is to read the intelligence and work out what's re- reliable and what's not. But it, but the story gets worse. Oh God! Um, look, the North had amassed a huge force just above the thirty eighth parallel. Mm-hmm. Um, John Gunther, who wrote a biography on Douglas MacArthur, wrote. On the morning of June 25th, the North Koreans launched an attack by, assisted by three constabulary brigades. 70,000 troops committed and about 70 tanks went into action simultaneously at four different points. Right. Ask any, any military person what this means. To assemble such a force, arm and equip it, and have it ready to wheel into pre-calculated action over a wide front with perfect synchronization on the appointed date, must have taken at least a month. Yet South Koreans and Americans uh, were taken completely by surprise. If Um, I remember correctly, there were seven divisions... hmm. Um, a, a division of T-34s, three newly created divisions. So there were a shit ton of people on the border, all ready to go, all with weapons, artillery, planes, everything. Yeah, that's kind of hard not to notice. Particularly when, like, a day before the attack, they fucking, uh, uh, what's his face, um, was at the border. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 Dulles. Dulles was in... Korea went to the border, had his binoculars, and was looking over. <laughs> so yeah, they got they got seventy thousand men and seventy tanks uh, all looking at me, smiling. Do you think that's so, an indication of anything? Should I no. wave? No. Do I look tough? No. What do I do? No, that's just that's nothing. No, they're just that's just it's a military uh, they, parade. They just do that, right? Yeah, yeah. So they just do that, <laughs> trying to look tough. Look, the I think the obvious conclusion um, is that some Americans knew the attack was coming or assumed it was coming and allowed it to happen. Right. Now, of course, all of this was kept a secret from the American public. Um, And as I said before, a couple of months after this, uh, Roscoe, the first director of the CIA, was replaced with General Walter Beetle Beetle Smith, a.k.a. Beetle Smith, who had served as the U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union from 1946 to 48? We've talked about mm-hmm. Beetlesmith before, right? And and this kind of reminds me of the 9/11 attacks or Pearl Harbor or Stalin in 1941 to different um, d- degrees. They kind of should have known this was coming, or did know and chose to ignore it, because it did provide a casus belli, as you said before. Now, before we move on too far, though, I want to say that Hill and Cotter, Roscoe, mm-hmm. first director of the CIA, later on, ends up on the board of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, right. a.k.a. NICAP. In 1960, he wrote a letter mm-hmm. to Congress where he said, Behind the scenes, high-ranking Air Force officers are soberly concerned about UFOs, but through <laughs> official secrecy and ridicule, Many citizens are led to believe the unknown flying objects are nonsense. Right. But let me let me ask you real quick. If the government does know there's a UFO, are they literally not telling us because it would cause widespread panic? Or we? I mean, I, I I just I have a hard time believing there's something out there. We've we've the government or some entity has got proof of it, but they don't release it because. I mean, at this point, I, I don't know, we're all pretty sophisticated. We've all seen Star Wars, Star Trek, everything else that's going on. If you were to say aliens, we'd be like, okay, cool. 
I don't think people would freak out the way that they, I don't know. And so I, I have a hard time with that entire premise that they would keep that information from us to protect mm. us. But that's kind of the only reason. Issue. Yeah. The only reason I was looking forward to a Trump presidency is I was pretty oh, convinced yeah. he would tell us the truth about the Kennedy us. assassination and Hell the truth yeah. about UFOs. Yeah. Right. Or but see, so far, yeah. he's done nothing. They obviously, they got to him. They got to him, right? <laughs> Fucking aliens. Anyway, yeah. His hair is an alien. <laughs> I think that's really what's going on. Now, more evidence that the US should have expected the attack comes from South Korea. Early in May, now the attack happened in June. Early mm-hmm. in May, Syngman Rhee made a request to the United States for combat planes saying, May and June may be the crucial period in the life of our nation. On May 10th, Captain Sing Sung Mo, Defence Minister of South Korea, mm-hmm. held a press conference in Seoul where he stated that North Korean troops were moving in force towards the 38th parallel and that there was imminent danger of invasion from the north. Oh, God. The defence minister of South Korea. Okay, that's important, so right? When, so when General MacArthur goes, oh, listen, we, we, you know, we get so much intel, <laughs> we, we, we can't possibly be expected to know who to listen to and what not listen to. Right. I think listen you would him. listen to the Defence yeah. Minister of South Korea. <laughs> Just saying, if there's one guy <laughs> you're listening to who says, holy shit, we're about to get invaded, it's probably that's, the Defence Minister the of the I, fucking country that you're supposedly supporting. Right. And, and I know you're serious about it when you use your Seinfeld voice. I, I, I totally get that. There is another, <laughs> par- there is another parallel between Korea and, um, and Pearl Harbor. Um, Korea was on the list of possible places where the communists, i.e., you know, just in a general sense, were going to cause trouble. Like Pearl Harbor was on the list. So like, yeah, it's a potential target. But for both countries, they were way down on the list. That doesn't justify anything. That that doesn't excuse anything like that. But just know that, yeah, they were thinking about it. But why would you start in Korea when it's convenient for us? I mean, Japan's right there. We can just shoot across or we can we can be there with ships and planes. As, and it's going to be hard for Moscow to support them. And again, you have to remember that America is thinking when there is some kind of clash, when there is a border dispute, it's going to be the Russians. It's not going to be the Chinese. Fuck all. It's not going to be the Koreans. It's going to be the Russians. And how would they possibly cause a border dispute in Korea? So for the Americans, I think it was those blinders that they had on, which again, doesn't excuse anything. If that's your job to assess no. situations, you better no, be no, you know, no. looking at everything. Yeah, no, I totally, I think you're making excuses. It wasn't blinders. They knew it was coming. Right. My if, conclusion if know, from right. reading all this is they, they completely mm-hmm. knew it was coming and they wanted it to happen. Right. And no, I, I'm not saying that you're wrong, but the thing is, if you're Truman and you find out mm-hmm. that an attack's coming three weeks a month or whatever, and you want it to come... Of course you don't mm. do anything. Of course you don't say anything because you could easily get someone to whisper into somebody's ear, either in China, Korea, uh, mm. Moscow. Hey, look, uh, just want to let you know we've we got this thing, NSC-68, or maybe just don't even mention that, just to let you know that we're, we're, we're hyper alert to anything. We've been hearing rumors. We'd really hate for there to be some kind of um, clash where you get involved and we get involved and it gets out of control and we've both got nuclear weapons. I mean... You would think America could have dropped a hint somewhere, but Truman did not. I don't think Truman 
knew it was coming. I don't think the intelligence oh. got as far as Truman. You think it was under him? Uh yeah, yeah, I think it went to. I think MacArthur knew. Right. I think uh, Hill and Coda knew. What about Atchison? Um, I think Atchison knew. Yeah. I think Dulles knew. Um, these guys knew. I don't know that it got to Truman. I'm not saying it, it definitively didn't, but I don't think Truman matters in all of this. Anyway, let me let me. We'll yeah. keep going, and I'll explain my rationale as we go forward. All right. Um, speaking, st- staying in South Korea, so. Uh, the president of South Korea said May and June is a cr- critical period. We need weapons. We need combat planes. America yeah. went, nah, don't think so. No. Uh, the defence minister said, uh, you know, we're about to get invaded. They went, nah, don't think so. Robert T. Oliver, an American advisor of Rees, right. wrote an article in the June 9th uh, edition of a publication called Periscope in Asia Mm. Uh, where he warned that unless the planes are sent promptly, the next Soviet advance in Asia could be down the Korean peninsula. They ignored that. Right. A month before the invasion, Brigadier General William L. Roberts, who was then the head of the American military mission to South Korea, urged uh, that uh, they should be supplying American air power for South Korea and spoke of danger, imminent danger, if it wasn't forthcoming. The head of the American military mission to South Korea said, yeah, we really need to give them weapons. They went, nah, no, don't think so. Yeah. Um, on, yeah, on May 3rd, Senator Connolly, Democrat from Texas, mm-hmm. who was the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee at the time, gave an interview with the US News and World Report. He was quoted as saying the red would push the US out of South Korea. When asked, but isn't Korea an essential part an essential part of the defense strategy? He replied, No. Of course, any position like that is of some strategic importance, but I don't think it is very greatly important. It has been testified before us that Japan, Okinawa, and the Philippines make the chain of defense, which is absolutely necessary. Right. So we've talked about this before when uh, Atchison gave his speech where he was talking about the line of defense and didn't mention South Korea. Right. Uh, here you have the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee saying, yeah, no, South Korea is not important to us, really. Now, we, we have to assume Stalin paid attention to that. Right. And if anyone, and see, this is why the Americans weren't supplying, my assumption is, weren't supplying the South Koreans with weapons. Because they're trying to get Stalin to reach the conclusion that they don't care so he'll justify or he'll allow the the invasion to take place. If the Americans had shipped a thousand uh, planes and tanks and troops and whatever into South Korea before June, then Stalin would have turned to Mao and Kim and said, well, look, obviously the Americans do care right. about South Korea's, uh, you know, independence. Future. So, no, yeah. fuck, fuck it. We're not, we're, not, we're not doing anything there. Shut, shut the fuck up. You're crazy. Uh, right. We're not. We're not doing it. Um, we're just going to piss off the Americans. I don't want that. Yes, I've got a bomb now, but I've only got one, and <laughs> I keep it on a keychain. Um, they've they've probably got half a dozen right. uh, or more. Probably got twenty at this stage. No, fuck you. We're not doing it. But the Americans were deliberately, publicly sending multiple messages. We don't care about South Korea. They said it in words, and they said it in action by not arming the South Koreans, even when the South Koreans were saying, we are about to get invaded. Even when Brigadier General William L. Roberts said they're about to get invaded, they were like, 
No. So they're sending... It, it, I mean, it, it has to be deliberate. You can say, well, it was accidental or it was coincidental. Maybe. But I, it's pretty obvious to me that they would... The Americans would deliberately... Uh, they were basically... South Korea... They, they got South Korea as a whore in in um, Al Swearingen's saloon right. with her skirt hiked up around her waist, no <laughs> panties on, her legs are spread wide open, and she's there and she's eyeballing North Korea, pointing at her vagina, going, That's basic yeah, that's basically the position that they put South Korea in. Just lie listen. Just lie over there, spread your legs, open it up. Point. Yeah, we've got a big neon sign for you that's pointing at your vagina. <laughs> come and get it. Uh, yeah, yeah come, come and get it. That's... <laughs> Let me... Okay, you have deconstructed all of my arguments except for one. The United States, militarily speaking... Hold on, I, is, it the Jesus, is it the Jesus wanted it? Is that where you no, go? That's, no, that's my backup you know, to my God's, backup. It's no. God's, God's great plan? Okay. God who... No, because God was a fucking communist. He would have wanted the communists to win. But no... As we're going to go into in a couple of minutes or maybe the next episode, I don't know. The Americans militarily were caught so off-handed as far as being prepared, as far as being able to contribute anything right away, anything to stymie the, the North Korean attack, that if we did know about it and we did let this thing go and we we were we were luring Stalin in, fucking beautiful job we did. We should get an Oscar for that because we literally did not, as we're going to go into, we did not have any fucking thing to stop these guys except for a nuclear missile. And Truman's going to decide, decide, I think, within like the first 10 minutes or whatever, no, nukes are not the way to go. So if this was if this was a feint, it was a hell of a one because we were completely militarily unprepared. And maybe but that was part of the, the ruse. that's the point. Right. No, 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 that's not part of the ruse. That's the reason mm. why this had to happen, as we'll get into. I'll, okay. get, I'll get into it. In a All right. Before we get into that, though, Robert Oliver, getting back to him, the American advisor of uh, Re, he later wrote a book about the Korean War where he stated that, in his opinion, American authoritative statements indicated that we would not defend Korea. Just getting back right. to the point that they were... It was a big yeah, come-and-get-it sign for Stalin and Kim. <laughs> Um, yeah. Now, maybe also, uh, I want to add to this, maybe Ree, Sigmund Ree had come to the conclusion that the only way to get America involved right. was to invite an attack. He now, certainly did his part. Immediately, yeah. immediately after the invasion, the North claimed they invaded as a response to incursions by the South over the 38th parallel. Mm-hmm. It's basically, you know, the whore and Al Swearingen saloon going up and rubbing her muff in some guy's face and with a big come and get it sign on it. They were like, well, you know, he, he, they, he begged me to do it. Yeah. Of course, this is denied by the South and by the US. Um, but that was, you know, the claim of the time and, and it kind of makes sense to a point. Now, uh, here's a history question for you, and by history I mean the episodes we recorded last month. Okay. Who flew Sigmund Reed to Seoul in his private jet over the objections of the State Department? Um, that would be God himself, General Douglas MacArthur. Who was feeling angry at the time that his forces in Japan had been gutted by Truman's budget cuts? Uh, <clears throat> I refer to my previous answer. Who ended up in command of the forces that supported South Korea? For better or for worse, 
the same. Right. So here's the situation, uh, as we'll get into. Um, Mm -hmm. Truman uh, had gutted the military budget. Right. And as you said before, America's military, uh, MacArthur's army in Japan, etc., very, very weak at the time. Navy was weak. Air Force was a little bit stronger. Uh, because they figured the next war was going to be fought by dropping nuclear weapons, uh, nuclear bombs on each other. Yeah, and but and the army, the, you know, they, they were like, well, we don't need a land army, we don't need a navy. The next war is just going to be dropping nukes. Yeah, so we we don't need any of that. Um, MacArthur not happy about that. So qui bono? Who stands to benefit from a war in Korea from an American perspective? The guys who are going to get their military budgets restored. Right. And the President uh, glory. And, yeah. and the military-industrial complex that had gotten very used to making a lot of money out of supplying the American military during World War II. All of that money had just suddenly gone away. Oh, and yes. they were like, oh, you know what we need right now <laughs> is another fucking war. A little cute war. Nothing crazy. Let's not go over Europe again. But just a little cute something, you know, that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be lovely. A boutique. Now, um, a boutique. <laughs> a boutique war. I don't know. A boutique war. Yeah. <laughs> now, another issue uh, at the time uh, on the minds of American planners was the recent loss of China to mm-hmm. the communists. Yeah. Oh, now, we haven't done this in detail, but we will. Uh, somebody, one of our new listeners from Israel, uh, just reminded me that we haven't even talked about the creation of Israel yet, which happened in this period, late 40s, which we will. Yeah. There's so much going on yeah. that's relevant that we will have to, you know, we're going to be stuck in <clears throat> 1945 to 1950 uh, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we're going to cover all these things in due course. But Mao, uh, Mao had recently won the, the Chinese Civil War, late 1949, in China. And he had a subsequent meeting with Stalin. Now, people may or may not know this, but Stalin... So, uh, going back a bit, Chiang mm-hmm. Kai-shek and the Kuomintang were socialists. Right. Um, as was Mao and the Chinese Communist Party. It, it was a, the, the whole Chinese Civil War, after they sort of got rid of the emperors... It was um, it was a bit like the Bolsheviks versus the Mensheviks. I mean, there they were socialists, although they were both happy to have armies. They, it, it was it was a internecine socialist civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, Chiang Kai Shek ended up doing a deal with the Americans. Yeah, but early on he was a socialist as it comes. Sun Yat Sen, who founded the Kuomintang, was a socialist. Uh, Chiang Kai Shek was a socialist. But at the end of the day, uh, Mao won. Now, Stalin had no time for Mao before this. Right. Didn't really know him, didn't trust him, didn't, didn't, didn't a, bit like, like, a bit like he had no time for Ho Chi Minh uh, right. during this period, had no time for Mao either. Um, and, but after Mao won, Stalin goes, okay, well, fair enough. Um, yeah. Better take you seriously. So I'll take your calls. he went and had a meeting with Stalin. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 Mao helped Stalin start to accept Kim's insistence that he should take back the South. 
Now, this is also mm. the way I want to uh, want to throw in here. I'll get into it later on in more detail too. But we normally talk about the North invading the South. Now, it's the one country. It's not two independent countries here. You you can't. Can you really invade your own country? You can have a civil war. Yeah, but is that invading your own country? When when Lincoln fought a civil war, did he invade the South? Do you use that terminology? I honestly don't know. Yes. The, well, the Southerners use that. Use <laughs> the that Southerners word. use it. Yeah, yeah. What about the Northerners? Though? Did they say the North invaded the South or they occupied, they fought? They entered. To me, invade. They fought. They entered. They, they entered. They entered, yeah. Into the South, yeah. Yeah. They took back. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever the terminology. Invade sounds... You know, I, I keep having to remind myself, and I want to remind everyone listening, that th- this wasn't really two countries. This divide was artificial, wasn't supposed to happen. Remember, it, it, yeah. the, the it was external. 38th parallel division was only created as a temporary measure so the Americans and the Russians could help get rid of the Japanese out of the north and the south. Then it was supposed to be reunified... And then the Americans uh, uh, took it upon themselves to go, ah, fuck that, we're just going to create a country. Uh, and so the Russians followed suit. So this isn't really, I, I don't think it's an invasion, it's a unification. Through armed Invasion for- <clears throat> has negative connotations that I don't think are justified here. Right. Well, unification using armed force. But let, let me, let me um, semi-support you here because a couple of weeks ago, we had this conversation and we did not agree. And I've been thinking about it ever since then about how in the hell can you not call something where your tanks and troops and planes and artillery comes across a line that you are both pretending to respect? How can you not call that an invasion? And it took me a while. <clears throat> I was walking my dog and it took me a while and I was smoking one of your cigars. Thank you. And um, it hit me. North Korea wants to bring the country together. And like you said, they had the fi- the general five-year outline. Okay, I accept that. There's probably, and I don't know the exact number, I'm going to say somewhere between 20 and 45% of South Korea that are either communists or want the communists to win or maybe uh, support the communists. And, m- and maybe it's a different number. I don't know. But there is a decent percentage of communists in the South that wanted unification and they wanted it under communist government. I get that too. So what I finally had to realize, um, putting my pride aside was that, and my Americanism, if I, if I can be honest about it, Kim was coming down the South, not to take on the South Korean people, not to take on the people who were certainly pro-communist. He was taking on the re-government as unpopular as it was, as hated as it was, as it had suffered in the, in the most recent election. And it's, let's be honest, it was on its way out. Um, they were still in charge of everything. They had the troops on their side. Supposedly, they didn't do a very good job. But the point is, Kim, I can see your argument had to come down and he had to oppose the government of re that was keeping the uni- unification from happening. So in that sense, I I get what you're saying. I think I literally had to put my American uh, programming on hold to, to try to come to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm proud of you, buddy. You're, okay. you're getting there. We'll, we'll make a... There was smoke we'll coming we'll out of my ears. A, yeah. We'll make a historian out of you yet. Yeah, look, <clears throat> I mean, again, this is just one way of looking at it. The, right. the, you know... 
I'm not saying that that is the only way to look at it or that's the sure. correct way of looking at it, but this is one way, a different way of looking at it. The re-government was a puppet government, very unpopular, very brutal, brutal yes. to its own people, arresting tens of thousands and, and killing tens of thousands of its own people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even the Americans thought that about re. Oh, yeah. Um, so you could say, if you wanted to put a positive spin on it, uh, if the tables were turned, if the Americans were supporting Kim and the Russians were supporting Syngman Rhee, <laughs> how the American right. propaganda would position this is, well, uh, it was a humanitarian act. Kim had to go down to the South to save yeah. the people from an oppressive government, puppet government, that was uh, Keeping the imprisoning apart. and, and right. murdering its own people. Right. right. So the the way that we see these things is is quite often tainted by decades of propaganda. Certain words like invasion that are used, and I've got some news stories uh, later on that I'll cover Mm -hmm. where this is quite evident, contemporary news stories from the time, uh, where you see this bias coming out in the terminology that's used. But uh, anyway, yeah, good on you. Yes, that's one way of seeing it. And our job here is to look at it neutrally, I think, as right. much as possible. Right. Now, Stalin was influenced by other facts as well, as the uh, Americans um, saying, "Here, here's a big, hot, sexy pussy, come and get it. <laughs> One was the creation of NATO on the 4th of April, 1949, Mm-hmm. So under American leadership, quite outside the UN, you know, right. the whole idea of the UN was we're going to have a platform where the world comes together to sort out its differences. Yeah, no more wars. Then on top of that, America said, but we're also going to put together another coalition to basically build a big fence around Russia and point missiles at it. <laughs> Who's that? Uh, and, yeah... <laughs> Oh, everyone who took Marshall Plan money. By the way, we expect you to sign up for this. Yeah, you're in. So that so that was on Stalin's mind, obviously. He was like, uh, you think you can... Uh, no one puts baby in a corner. Right. Um, I'm going <laughs> to... I need to look for other places to uh, uh, build alliances or extend my Absolutely. trading block and, and my support block. Another thing on his mind at the time would have been a new policy announced by the US that they weren't going to demilitarize Japan. Mm. Now the the original plan was that they the, the Japan plan, the Japan <laughs> as they used right. to call it, uh, you seen you yep. seen the latest Japan um, was <laughs> they were going to occupy it after the war and then get the fuck out as they were going to do in Germany, as they were going to do in Korea. You know, you, yeah. you occupy and then you leave. It's like looking into the sun. You don't stare at it. You, you look and you look away. You get in, you get out. But then they decided, mm, no, we're going to continually militarily occupy Japan pretty much forever, we think. Uh, like... Donald Trump recently announced regarding oh, Afghanistan, right. I think. Oh, we're, we're just going to keep an army here yeah. for, forever, I think, now. Yeah. You know, we're here. Yeah. We're here. Took, took, you know, took a long time to get here. Right. Uh, yeah, Walmart we, we now. to stay. So, yeah. You are, look, to the people of Japan, we say this. You are completely independent. <laughs> don't, look, don't ignore the fact that 
This is there's thousands of Americans pointing guns at you over yeah. there in the corner. Ignore that. Ignore, don't look at that. Look away. Look, it's your flag up in the sky. What more do you need to know? Yeah. Like but, uh, like GK yeah. saying they're called the National Socialist Party. <laughs> what more? I don't need to read a book. I don't need to understand anything about fascism. That's all you need. It's right there in the name. That's all yeah. I need to know. <laughs> Look, piece, piece of cake, obvious. Would, would it be fair to say that, I mean, because I haven't, I haven't read about the occupation, I don't know much about it, but were, were the Americans staying because they felt that Japan needed to be held down? Or was it a convenient piece of real estate to help be a part of the wall against communism? I mean, was it directed at yeah. Japan or Russia or both? Yeah, probably a bit of both, I'd say, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the the inner thinking of their minds is not revealed to me, but both of those make sense, yeah. Okay. Look, uh, we want to make sure that Japan is fully uh, integrated into the American trading block. Right. Uh, and uh, we think we might need to put a big army here. <laughs> I mean, maybe uh, to give Americans... To give America the benefit of the doubt, because I like to be fair in all things, maybe it was in case Godzilla um, came. You know, they were like, listen, you might need help. If Godzilla fights Mothra, uh, you don't have have the capability to handle that yourselves. There's no Ultraman, so yeah. Uh, But yes, of course, they're maintaining an armed presence very close to Russia. Japan, of course, right. just off the coast of Russia, um, uh, uh, which is the reason there was the, the Sino-Soviet uh, wars and all that kind of jazz. So, mm-hmm. yes, it, so they've got NATO and they've got, oh, we're keeping an army in Japan. Uh, hi, we can, like, like Sarah Palin, we can see you from here. We can wave <laughs> through the window. Right. Uh, so Stalin, so put yourself in Stalin's shoes, right. 1950. Uh, America's putting a, an alliance of uh, your enemies together on your border, right. NATO, and they're keeping their own army on your border in Japan, pointing pointing guns at you through the window. Right. Uh, you're going to feel a little bit claustrophobic. Yeah. And no. you want to have allies. <laughs> you want to have allies close, and you want to have allies right. that have access to warm water ports, as we've talked about before. Absolutely. Now, in his negotiations with Mao, he'd just lost uh, some of the warm water ports that were part of Manchuria. Part of Mao's deal was, we want all of that back. Stalin was like, fuck you. Mao was like, no, fuck you. <laughs> and Stalin was like, all right, fine, fuck me then. Right. Um, so he, he needed alliances with these guys. When, when you look out your window and you see American flags like ringing your house... Uh, and and guys with AK-47s or AR whatevers uh, yeah. pointing them in through your kitchen window, you're like, mm, yeah, maybe I need maybe I need to, yeah, yeah. maybe I need friends. <laughs> and, of course, Korea is also <clears throat> much even closer to Japan than Russia right. is. So, um, you know, it, it would be handy to have an ally uh, to keep the American force in Japan in check. And according to George, so you might think I'm crazy, but according to George Kennan, mm-hmm. this was probably a major part of Stalin's reasoning. The creation mm. of NATO and the announcement that they weren't going to demilitarize Japan is what George Kennan right. points to 
as a big part, he thought, of Stalin's reasoning to approve Kim's uh, taking back of the South. Yeah, I can see that because it's all chess moves. And the other part of it is I think he probably said yes, and it might have been a tepid yes. I seriously doubt if he was jumping up and down going, yes, slam dunk. Um, It's very little risk to him because even though America thinks – that Moscow is the center of the communist universe. I mean, Kim was the one, as far as we know, pushing for this. Mao was the one who would said, yeah, I'll let the trains go through with supplies and maybe, you know, I can give um, men if you need it. But the point is, I, I think maybe Stalin was like, well, here's a risk I'm willing to take. It doesn't really involve me. Theoretically, I'm not risking anything. And, it, and if we can get this to work, this would be a very, a very good, solid move where, you know, I can have a little bit more territory. Troops closer to the Americans to keep an eye on them. So I, I think the upside for him was pretty good and the downside was pretty small. But, of course, he didn't know about the change in Truman's administration. And he's going to find out when everybody else finds out at the same time. Yeah. Uh, as for the American view on the loss, quote unquote, of China to Mao, here's what Max Hastings writes. The critical force in United States policy towards the Far East by the summer of 1950 was the deep bitterness and frustration of the American people about the loss of China to the communists. The defeat of Chiang Kai-shek's American-sponsored nationalist armies was a profound shock and source of sorrow, not only to the legendary China lobby, but to many Americans who had grown up all their lives with a sense of missionary commitment to China. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to just touch on this a little bit, the, what the China lobby uh, was. Okay. Did you um, have any anything on that? You want to talk to us about the China lobby? Just that the Americans, um, and it was far from perfect, the Americans had had affinity for China um, for at least since uh, 18... 1897, uh, we had an affinity for them. We saw ourselves as taking them under their wings. And as you are probably going to point out, we spent a ton of money backing Chiang Kai-shek, who was a political genius, not a military genius. That kind of gets lost on people sometimes. But um, America did feel this keenly, and it wasn't just about losing all that money. So this might seem weird to someone who, who who just hears us for the first time, or if you're not American, but we did feel the loss. We feel like we let them down, and uh, we were shamed over it. Now, again, that might not make sense, but we did feel it keenly, and we were promising ourselves never to let it happen again. Well, the China lobby was basically a business group mm-hmm. that had been uh, trying to take over China. Um, you know, we, uh, we've we talked about this in the past uh, when we did our shows on the open door policy. Right. I think that that was on this show earlier on. Um, but China, you know, was, was sort of the great, uh, uh, as it was coming out of its imperial period, the British obviously had, uh, to a large extent, taken control of it during the Opium Wars in 1860, etc. They managed to take Hong Kong. They'd managed to push these unfair treaties on China. We talked about this recently mm-hmm. in the China economy episodes. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's what the Chinese referred to, referred to as like the, the, the shameful century, the great humiliation, right. those sorts of things. China had been uh, uh, kept down by 
mostly British British armed forces, British military. There were other nations involved as well, but it was mostly the British that, that drove this. Mm-hmm. Um, and America had been pushing to open up China to access to American business because they saw it. Obviously, there's a lot of people. They're poor. Uh, there's a lot of natural resources. So the Americans mm-hmm. wanted access to the natural resources of China. They wanted access to the market of China. They wanted to be able to sell American goods and services to China. Um, but also uh, the missionary side of it is they wanted to go over there and convert the Chinese to right. Christianity. Right. Uh, there was you know, hun- hundreds of millions of potential new Christians there that Jesus wanted them to go and convert uh, and, of course, the communists are atheists, and so they didn't want that to happen. That was the big right. difference, I think, between uh, their their view of Mao and their view of Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, so there were guys like Henry Luce that we've talked about before, the guy who ran Time magazine. He put Chang on the cover of Time magazine a record seven times wow. to try and make him the man of the hour and... Yeah. and build his brand, his profile in America. Mm -hmm. There were guys like Alfred Kohlberg, the American textile baron on the China lobby. He was an ally ally of uh, Wisconsin Senator Joseph McCarthy, Mm -hmm. another huge anti-communist. And he also, coincidentally, had a huge business investment in China. He set up a business buying linen in Ireland, (laughs) which was then shipped to China where local weavers would turn the raw linen into fine textiles. Then the finished products were sent to the United States where they were sold as luxury fabrics. Wow. So he was a member of the US-China lobby, putting a huge amount of pressure on the American government to make sure that Chiang Kai-shek won the Civil yeah. War and not Mao Zedong, which would money. damage his business interests. Right. Right. Um, so the US-China lobby was basically a group of industrialists like Luce and Kohlberg who saw China as the new frontier for American commerce. And I think the whole, oh, by the way, we're going to convert them all to Christianity too, was just a way of, of getting the American people uh, on board. Yeah. Like, oh, oh that's, that's so sweet. nice. Bring to Jesus. If you're like, listen, we want to we wanna win the Civil War so we can make a buck. It's yeah. like, hmm. Yeah. But if we want to win the Civil War so we can convert them all to Jesus, Aww. okay, well, that's, oh. Have you watched The Righteous Gemstones yet? No, sorry. Fuck, <laughs> man, watch it. <laughs> this weekend. Watch it. I'm, I'm, Watch it. I'm looking forward oh to my it. god, so good. So good. So good. <laughs> that Thanks, and Jesus. Perpetual Grace. Right. Watch it and Perpetual Grace, man. Okay. Two, two best shows on TV at the moment. Um, so they put pressure, the China lobby, on the Roosevelt administration to support Chiang. America's cash investment in Chiang's regime, which, by the way, was incredibly corrupt like Singman Rees, yes. had been enormous. They'd, they'd sunk $1.6 billion in Lend-Lease during World War II and then another $2 billion, and I'm talking 1940s dollars here, right. uh, in, the, in the years that followed World War II. Damn. Uh, and I think another part of this was, unlike Europe, you know, Europeans then as now tend to look down their noses at America yeah. as sort of... Bastards. Nouveau riche upstarts in the global economy that have no sophistication or civilization. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Asia, though, was seen by Americans as kind of half baked 
and ready for conquest, economic, cultural, and religious conquest. Let's forget the fact that they probably had the greatest empire on earth for a thousand <laughs> years. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now they're all, uh, you know, poor and opium addicts. Right. Thanks, so then, when so when China China fell to the communists, instead of reaching the conclusion, as the Americans, that they should pick their partners more carefully or st- stay the fuck out of it altogether. American planners decided to double down on supporting anti-communist regimes, however unpopular those regimes might be with their own people. Now, George Kennan, again, getting back to George Kennan, he yeah. suggests in one of his books that a certain sentimentality towards the Chinese among yeah. Americans was both patronising and dangerously naive. <laughs> and, and I get that a lot with, yeah. you know, sort of the Americans in this period and their attitude towards the Vietnamese or the Koreans or the Chinese. Yeah. It seems that America looked on these people like they looked on the Indians or the Mexicans. To, you know, it's like... Yeah. Barbarians. America's view of these people at the time right. was they were barbarians that needed guidance. Sort of the white man's burden, yeah. right? You know, America yeah. needs to come out and civilize these poor barbarian people who Doing don't know the glories of American capitalism and Jesus. <laughs> um, <laughs> instead of seeing them as, you know, mm. a, a, a very old, highly advanced, People that had been brutally oppressed for a hundred years, but you know, wanted to get back on top again. Yeah, uh, and you know, had had thousands of years of of Confucius and uh, Buddhism and a lot of highly advanced uh, thinking. Yeah. Um, so Dean Acheson uh, wrote a white paper in 1950 where he said that Americans had come to accept that they had done everything they could to support Chiang Kai-shek, but at the end of the day, it was the Chinese who decided the outcome. But a lot of American leaders couldn't accept that position. In the words of one of Joe McCarthy's biographers, the political atmosphere in the spring of 1950 was such that evidence and logic were often avoided. (laughs) Does that strike you as true today? Huh. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But look, and without, you know, again, I'm going to be accused of picking on Americans in anti-Americanism, but it's but that's not my point. As you said before, this is true, I think, of of empires generally. When people have had a certain amount of success. Yeah. Uh, even if that success is somewhat accidental, as America's success was in World War Two, the only reason America survived, as we said a million times, better than everyone else in World War Two, is you were a long fucking way away from the action. Right. Um, yeah. And eighty percent of the goal. You, know, you, yeah. you didn't get flattened right. by German tanks or Russian tanks or whatever. Yeah. British uh, bombers. So, uh, but you, you, people become a little bit sort of cocky and a little bit arrogant. That's human nature. It's not just an American thing. It's Absolutely. true of it's true of everyone. 
you become a little bit cocky, you become a little bit arrogant, you start to deny evidence and logic and like, nah, fuck all that shit. We, we just do what we want to do, right? We, 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 yeah. we're, we're the God's gift to humanity. And, uh, and I think Americans are as guilty of that as anyone in history uh, going back to, you know, Rome and, and Greece and uh, Macedonia, yeah. you know. If I could put a little spin on that. So the Americans at the time did not know what we know now, which if I remember correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, we spent about $2 billion developing the atomic bomb thereabouts. Maybe a little more, I can't remember. We spent at least that much, if not more, on Chiang Kai-shek. He still lost the fucking war. Now, the American people at the time don't know that, but because of where we were at, we, we like the British and, just, and like the Soviets, we saw that we saw it as that we had won World War II. We stopped Hitler. Yeah, there were some Soviets and there were some British and there were some other people, whatever. But basically, we did it with D-Day and we kicked ass. And so we're special. We're different. And, and, and it's that kind of arrogance where you can say, we lost China. It, it's amazing. And it, it, I think it would have helped the American citizens a lot if they, if they had realized nothing you can do besides dropping a bomb directly on Macedonia's headquarters probably would have changed how, <clears throat> how things played out. But because we saw that, we saw ourselves as losing China, we're doubling down for the next one. This will never happen again. Whereas if we hadn't seen it that way, maybe we wouldn't have been so passionate about Korea or Vietnam or whatever. But it's that, it's that inability to look at things dispassionately that I think is going to help give Truman the support that he needs from the average American on the street when the war starts in Korea. Cameron rules Ray number four, I think. Not to mention a vagina. Yes, I agree. And with that, let's uh, wrap this one up. We'll be back next week with more Korean War. Descended across the continent. From the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba, the purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. <laughs>